Good afternoon and welcome to the Sitka Nature Show. This is your host, Matt. I want to thank you for joining me here in the fourth weekend of September 2023. We are now just past the fall equinox, so into the dark half of the year. Has been feeling fall-like around with some stormy weather, some days with some wind, other days with lots of rain. Had a day of over three and a half inches of rain at the airport this past week here in Sitka, a second atmospheric river, or at least the second one. There might have been more than that uh, in the past week or two. So plenty of rain. We were trending to about normal for precipitation at the airport over the year, a little above and below as, as we went. But this last week or so has definitely pushed us well above normal for the year and almost twice normal for September to this point. Although these last couple of drier days, I'm sure that's dropped back down a little bit. This time of year, we expect to see on average four-tenths of an inch of rain each day, which is quite a bit. Of course, many days we don't see that much, but then there are the days that more than make up for it. It is also a time when we get these little sunny breaks, these days in between where the sun comes out and it's kind of, those are sort of those fall days for me. I don't know if it's the angle of the light. I think it's partly that. The shift in colors in the alders, they don't really turn bright, but the color of the green shifts. And then on the mountains, you can see the deer cabbage in particular turning bright yellow. And if you're looking closely, you can find some fall color in other places as well. It is also a time for vagrant birds, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that in a few moments here. But the vagrant bird season is upon us. Please, if you see anything that looks unusual to you or something like you haven't seen before, please feel free to let me know. Sitkanature at gmail.com if you want to email me, or you can get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. I'd love to hear about anything that seems a little bit unusual or just that you want to share. I'd be happy to hear about it and... If it's an unusual bird, maybe even get out and take a look and uh, get some pictures to document it. This past week, we did have a particularly unusual bird, first for Sitka, Cassin's Finch. Victoria Vosberg had one show up at her feeding station at her house, so that was fun. It's only the second one for southeast Alaska. They've had a few others. I'm not sure what the total numbers are up in south-central Alaska, but... Definitely an interesting and exciting bird for us here in Sitka. And as I alluded to, I plan to speak quite a bit about birds today. I have in the studio with me as I'm recording this, I have my son Connor Goff, who has decided to go, I wouldn't say quite all in on birds, but certainly has gone in pretty hard for birds in his life, I guess, really. But especially in the last year, it seems like you've decided to learn all the little intricacies of at least some of the the birds and feather tracks and all the fun stuff like that? Yeah, I, I don't know what really got me into it, but I definitely decided to dive in more. I got books for different parts of the world and even just more detailed reference books for birds of North America, and I've decided that I am pursuing bird identification more than most other things. And in along that vein, the Cassin's finch is one that, at least in the female immature type, which is the one that showed up here, I don't know, maybe the males or adult males are distinctive from purple finches, much more so, I'm not sure. But the 
female immature kind of birds. They look similar and look quite similar to purple finches, which we have had a few of here in Sitka before. So you uh, had an opportunity to, I guess, test your ID skills a little bit on this bird. It showed up. Victoria wasn't sure what it was. Sent some photos to you and me. I was out of a good cell phone range at the time, so I didn't see all of this until later, but from the sounds of it, you got the got the message and and then thought, oh, that one looks different. And had you did you try and identify it at all before you actually saw it, or did you wait? Um, I looked at the picture, and from the picture, I suspected probably Cassin's finch. If you'd asked me then why, I couldn't have really told you, other than the fact that it didn't really look like the purple finches. And I've seen a few Cassin's finches, not very many, but I did. I have seen a few down south, and so it seemed kind of more along those lines the um probably what struck out to me the most from the picture was that the streaking on the breast and the belly was a lot more sharp and crisp whereas purple finches are much more um blended i guess got softer edges um and so that and the bill seemed kind of seemed a little bigger but i like i didn't know if that was important and so i just knew that it didn't look right and my gut said it was a cassins and so i headed out there and thankfully Victoria was nice enough to let me sit there and in the house where it was warm and dry in that pouring rain and I got to sit there for a couple hours almost two hours probably before it came back and managed to get some pictures of it and then after I got the pictures of it I went home and I looked in the bird book more and then I also um, checked the eBird records for Alaska because oftentimes especially the um, more experienced the people on eBird that are more experienced with birds will oftentimes add a little note in the um, comments about why they're calling it what they're calling it and so I like to go through there and check and see what people have to say to make sure that everything lines up and so I went home and I did that and then just for good measure I sent it to somebody else in Alaska to who's good with birds to verify that it is in fact that my instinct was right and what I dug up was right and I wasn't missing anything and they got back about an hour later and said that yeah it was a Cassin's finch so what stood out to me was the much brighter white on the face relative to the bolder kind of bolder whiter or paler at least um, stripes on the face over the eye and under the eye I think their purple finches seem to have that but not it didn't stand out so much and that's one of those things where you know, for me, with only experience with a few purple finches, as far as I know, I've never seen a Cassin's finch, certainly not here, which is where I pay attention to them. I suppose I could have seen one fly by at some point down south, but I've not really ever paid much attention to the birds down there. Well, and haven't spent a lot of time there since I started paying attention to birds in general. So the this one, well, the challenge is then, so I see that and it looks a little different, but I don't know if there's variation within purple finches. And so maybe some of them can be that pale or have that pale striping. Um, but, you know, I, th- those are a pair, that species pair, Cassins and Purple Finches, the immature birds, is a pair that is has a reputation for being a challenging ID for people. And it sometimes is a little hard to know whether that's because they're actually hard to ID for people that have spent the time with it, or if it's just that people who don't spend as much time easily make that mistake. Yeah, it seemed like... Um Based on the work that I'd looking into it, it seemed like it was one of those that 
if you have really good pictures of them, it's and you're careful about looking at all the details and not glossing over things that like this one's less important than that one. And I mean, there is some of that, but you just kind of look at all the things you need to look at, and then it's straightforward. It's um, at least for the one that I saw, um, and then the purple finches. Um, but the purple finches that we've gotten up here, I believe, have been mostly Pacific types, um, Eastern types of. Pa- purple finches um, I believe are brighter and so kind of more their eye stripes and stuff can be brighter I think they still have the kind of more soft streaking on the um, breast and belly and they don't have a very bold eye arc or eye ring like the Cassin's finch Um, and so but they can be brighter I believe more contrasty than the purple finches we've had here before so the way I tend to do it is not somebody who's not so interested in getting into all the nitty-gritty details of identification is, especially these days, if I see something that doesn't look familiar to me, then it's an interesting bird for here. And that's if I travel somewhere else, that's not true. <laughs> There's plenty of birds I don't recognize that would be pretty normal for them or for wherever I might happen to be. But around here, if I see a bird that doesn't look familiar to me, there's almost certainly an interesting bird for some reason, probably a different species, but could be interesting because if there's some sort of strange plumage thing going on, but even then, usually I can tell what it is if it just has a lot of white on it. So the Cassin's Finch was kind of our exciting bird of the moment, but any other updates for your birding checklist? Um, let's see. I got a Western goal, which was one I'd been looking for for a long time. Um, they'd been reported here. You'd reported them here when I was a kid, but I wasn't quite old enough to really understand what I was looking at or really care that much either. Um, and then early in the year, well, earlier, I think it was like August or July or no, it was August. Um, there was a Says Phoebe up by Bear Lake, which is good for around here you don't see them very frequently and that happened to be a new bird for the state again one of those that i'd seen in the lower 48 but a new bird for you for the state yeah a new bird for me for the state yeah says phoebes do nest in the interior and i think even into south central alaska a little bit i'm not sure if they make it i think they are a little south of the brooks range i think they're regularly occurring in anchorage area for example i'm not 100 percent sure about that yeah i think they're mostly from talking to um somebody that birds there it sounded like they were mostly a alpine species there where if you wanted them you could go up in the mountains and get them but they didn't really show up at lower elevations because that was something i was on during our trip to adak and when we stopped over in anchorage that was something that I, that was one of them that i was on my list of birds to see and he said that yeah it's um alpine you have to really go up to the mountains to really have any got decent chance of seeing one well, and that's where we were when we sat. I was with you on that trip to Says Phoebe near Bear Lake. So it was a little bit of a expedition to get up there, a little bit of a hill. And then it was nicely cooperative for us, just as I recall. Seemed to be fly catching. I don't know if it was actually catching anything, but it was kind of engaging that in that behavior, perching on rocks on the ground or sometimes in low shrubs, which is all there was at that elevation. There were no trees right there. Yeah, they're definitely more of a, it seemed like it was doing that, and they're definitely more of a, um open grassland kind of flycatcher species. Um, in Idaho, where I've seen them, they're perched on fence, on, perched on barbed wire fences or fence posts or tops of trees sometimes, but typically fence lines. 
So your Alaska list is now, uh, you had three new species this year so far. Yep. Last year was a big year. I think the last time we spoke for the radio was last fall. Yeah. So you'd had quite a few birds to add at that point, given a trip to Anchorage and ADAC. Yeah, and a good pelagics and a good season out offshore, too. That's right. So last year was your first year working on a boat where you were getting offshore. Or not not too far offshore, yeah. but... On the outside. Out on the sound, out in the middle of the sound and, and off Cape Edgecombe a little bit. Enough to start seeing the shearwaters, and yeah. So you had another season out there this year. What yeah. Did, what have you What have you learned on the basis of, of two whole seasons? Either that last year was exceptional, or this year was not as good as normal. Because um, last year I got far more, well, far more species. They happened to be new ones for me because I hadn't gotten most of them before, but. This year, I only saw one unusual shearwater, and it was a pink-footed shearwater, and I saw that like the last day of, uh, the last week we were working out there, um, I saw pink-footed shearwater, and that was the only interesting bird. I mean, it was, to be fair, it was also in the calmest water I've ever seen them in, like that, the water out there was not bad, it was only like four-foot rolling, rolling swells, and like no wind chops, so it was um, civilized fishing weather versus some of the other stuff that I've seen them in, which is far less civilized when the rain's blowing sideways and it's white capping and the waves are getting dramatically bigger over a short period of time. Um, Well, it seems like this year, I couldn't say for certain without actually going back and look because impressions can be misleading, but my sense of it is that much of this summer was, it was certainly drier than last year. We had some big rain events, but for instance, in August, we had normal precipitation for all of August, if you look at the whole of August. But I think almost all of that fell in four days, and, and one of those was the big four-inch day. And then there was a couple other days where there was, a, you know, maybe I think one day where there was three-quarters of an inch and a couple of days of two-tenths of an inch or something like that. So most of the water in August fell in just a handful of days. The... Rest of the month was actually pretty dry, pretty mellow weather. I think last year there was some persistent winds, and it was, I don't know if it was stormy per se, but it seemed like there was more wind last year and definitely more rain than we had this year. So I wonder sometimes, you know, there's no such thing as normal when it comes to weather and <laughs> that kind of thing. So there's, there's variability around kind of averages. So it will be interesting if you have the opportunity to spend more time out there over the years to start to see what is, you know, typical, like in terms of species mix or or if there is a typical, and, or if maybe it's just highly variable from year to year. I, I can imagine that depending on the storm tracks and the weather that those birds are moving around quite a bit. You know, there's there's nothing really to tie them to a certain place unless there's a lot of food there. So it's hard to know. Interesting to know. And did you get out, like, off, so you haven't actually spent time out at the shelf edge much. Um, yeah, I think there was one day we were where we went about ten miles off. Um, we saw quite a few black-footed albatross, but on days like that, you don't go out in stormy weather because you can't hold half the time. So it was flat and it was sunny and it hadn't even been. I think it had been blowing northwesterly, as I recall, previously to that, and that's something that I think played a role. Is that the southeast, big southeast blows that we've been, or that we were having last year, just showed up later 
this year. Um, like we've been having Southeast. I've been looking at Windy TV and just see Southeast wind after Southeast storm, like just come and get through one and get right on to the next one. That's part of where all the, during all the rain was, is blowing Southeast, like 45 out there. Sometimes it looked like, and so that happened. We were having that by August last year, um, August and a bit of July. But this year we've had a lot more, we had a lot more northwesterlies. Like we had a really bad north, a week of really bad northwesterly that the captain said he hadn't seen it that bad in like 30 years where it was blowing 45, 40 to 45 off the Cape, white cap in, in July. Um, that's the kind of storm that you get in later in the year. Or early on, but in July it doesn't. It's highly unusual. It sounds like so that's the wrong direction. Yeah, I it's guess, the wrong for, direction for, for the birds you want to be seeing. Yeah, southeasterlies are far more um, storms that pull birds up from the warmer waters down south and push them up the coast are far more preferred. Um, there was a there was a brown booby reported while I was fishing. We happened to go the opposite direction that day of where it was reported and so i didn't see it there's no guarantee i would have seen it had we gone the other way either but i would have had a far better chance um there was also a short-billed albatross short-tailed albatross yeah that was seen south of town i'm not sure which day because i saw it on iNaturalist where it's because it's considered endangered then but that person i know roughly when it was because i saw a bunch of other observations from that person but uh that was i think the end of uh, end of july maybe the first first of august yeah it was whenever you did that plagic trip off yeah shore. i had a chance to get out with a group of photographers uh there's a little room on the boat and i was invited to go along and the uh with the with the um, yeah, with Neil, with the Whale Song Expedition, and they were out there offshore. We saw a lot of albatrosses that day, uh, black-footed albatrosses. It was mercifully calm. I think I probably would have would have not chosen to go had it been very rough. <laughs> um, but that was a pretty calm day. It was nice to see all the albatrosses. We didn't see as much as when we went out a couple of years ago and looked for. We saw more. I saw more species that day. Although this trip. And it was right around the same. I think the first trip that I did out there a couple of years ago was on the 31st of July. This one was on the 1st of August, so right around the same time. Uh, didn't see as many different species this trip, although I did see shearwaters, and the last time I didn't see any shearwaters. So that was an interesting difference. I don't know what's going on with them. And that's one of the things I'm curious about. Not curious enough to like figure out how to spend a lot of time out there uh, as somebody who can feel a little seasick at times, get a little nauseous. It's not really my idea of a good time. You are fortunate, it seems, in that you don't get motion sickness out there, so you can enjoy the enjoy the rolling uh, and watch the birds without feeling like you need to have your head in a bucket or something. Yeah, I, I'll get kind of queasy sometimes, but I've never had a real issue with it. I normally can. It's like when I jump down into a hold to do something and I'm looking at the um, bottom of the boat or something while the boat's swaying and it when it sways pretty violently um, that's when I run into my you just have a moment or two yeah well it just it, it doesn't get bad but I feel my stomach not feeling so great and so I oftentimes if I get up and I just sit down and just watch like the horizon it doesn't have to be land it just has to be something the top of the water or something 
then I can, in, in the fresh air, I normally will get back to feeling all right after a little bit. Well, that makes it a little easier to pay attention to the birds out there over over a season when the weather can be variable. So, yeah, it is, I am curious about the patterns of the, the shearwaters and other birds. And if, if there are patterns, presumably there are, but teasing them apart may be a little bit of a challenge. And I guess if you're, I mean, one of the things that sounds like you're interested in doing in the long run is, is running trips out there for birders to see pelagic birds. And I suppose at that point, it would be helpful to know the patterns so that you would have a good idea of where to go <laughs> and when in order to find the species that people are interested in. Yeah, and there's still short-tailed albatross and mottled petrel. I feel like I should be able to get with some consistency uh, at least in the fall, but I will. It will require some work to figure out exactly where I need to go to find those consistently to get them to be chummed to the boat or something. Um, the shearwaters, I kind of suspect, are just kind of a. Most of them are just kind of a fall sort of, or at least the ones that occur in the state regularly are just more of a fall sort of stormy weather kind of bird. Um, I kind of. I was kind of wishing I had a big enough boat to be out there, um, out off the Cape, um, this last week when the big storm was blowing through, because I suspect there was probably some pretty interesting stuff out there if you could have, if you were in a boat big enough not to worry about sinking, basically. Um, (laughs) it wouldn't have had to be particularly stable or anything, like it just needed to be stable enough that we didn't sink and I could halfway see something, um, and I would have been happy to go out there and look, but... We were done fishing, so I wasn't, I wasn't out there in that stuff. Um, but I suspect that there was probably some pretty fun birds out there. Um, well, during the last couple of weeks when all those southeasterly storms were coming up and across. And well, we did have the uh, Sabine skull move through. You, you spotted, or I guess maybe one of the visiting birders from Fairbanks spotted that. Yeah. And flying across Crescent Bay, we saw it off the park. And those are normal offshore, probably not in large numbers, but they're regularly occurring out on the sound, I would say. It's based on limited evidence, but it's suggestive that they're regularly occurring out on the sound and offshore. Not so often that we see them here right along the road system. So that was a fun one, probably assisted somewhat by the weather. It was when we had the break in the weather last Tuesday, I guess it was, we went up Harbor Mountain, and you were up there before I was. I went up there with one of the, we had some birders visiting from Fairbanks. They'd just come down to spend some time in Sitka and look for birds, and coincidentally, they were here when the, uh, not long after Connor had found the western gull, so that was a nice bird for them. Western gulls are unusual in Alaska especially pure western gulls. It is not so hard to find. I mean, they're still unusual, but probably most years you can find an Olympic gull, which is a hybrid between glaucous wing gull and a western gull. But going up Harbor Mountain, maybe you can share a little bit about your experience up there. Yeah, I went up Harbor Mountain on the nice sunny day. Between storms. Between storms, yeah. Like the one day of sunshine between the... Uh, several days of heavy rain, um, and I just went up the Harbor Mountain Trail a little ways. There's a kind of a little lookout there, and um, not too far up the trail. And I just went off to the left of that and found a little knob to sit down on, and 
and just sat down there and I just watched the um, valley over towards the peaks. Um, I think that's no name Creek Valley or drainage. I think either that Granite is. Creek. Oh, is it Granite Creek? Okay. Um, so I watched that drainage and watched the skies and sat there and saw. Before you guys got there, I think I saw four osprey for sure and maybe five, um, which is like that alone was several more than I had seen my entire life burden here. Um, and I got to see a kestrel fly by, which is fun, and a northern goshawk. Northern goshawks aren't quite as unusual as the other two, but they're still fun to see when you get a chance. It flew nice and close. Um, and then I saw several peregrines, um, which earlier in the day I had been down at the park and there was a juvenile peregrine that spent probably 20 or 30 minutes harassing crows that were sitting in the tops of trees out out at the end and then um a sharpshint hawk decided to get in on the fun and um chased a crow around through the woods for it just seemed like just because it could and it didn't seem to be trying too hard to get it but it just seemed to be having fun um and so i also saw um Sandhill cranes up on Harbor Mountain, um, which I don't see those every year. I mean, there's that one that overwintered this last winter, so I already had it for the year, but it's still nice to see them when they fly over. Yeah, I guess it was around the same time. I think Monday I saw two peregrine falcons at the airport actually take out a – well, I assume that they did. It sure looked like they did. But by the time, the Hudsonian godwit was kind of – must have been in the vegetation in, I think inside the fenced area, but near the long-term parking, and a peregrine falcon was flying over. Then this bird, at first, I was like, "Was that a, was that a greater yellow legs?" Because what I saw was the white rump, but it didn't quite look like look right for that. And there was another person there with binoculars that got a look at it. It was like, "Oh nope, that was a Hudsonian godwit." And it went flying across the runway, and two peregrines actually went in pursuit of it. And shorebirds fly pretty fast, and. I tend to think of raptors just needing a certain amount of surprise to, you know, get up on something and be there before they have a chance. And that in a straight, most of the time, I don't know if I've ever, other than this, seen a a straight chase that ended up in the bird getting caught. I've seen eagles going after goals, and the goals are usually agile enough that the eagle doesn't get them. Likewise, with sharp shins or merlins going after songbirds, like if they don't get them right away, then they'll chase for a little bit, but it seems like... They aren't able to catch up. But in this case, the they got to the far side of the runway, and it looked like one of them hit the godwit, and the godwit kind of fl- slowed up and then and then like fell. And that it fell down b- beyond where I could see it, below the level of the runway, and both the uh, falcons went down there. So that was kind of a little bit of excitement watching that day. I also saw a osprey fly by that day, and I had been hoping to see one for the year, and then... The next day, going up Harbor Mountain, a little later than you, still saw, I believe it was five osprey. Yeah, there was five up there when you guys flew over during the couple hours that I was up there watching. And unfortunately, I was hoping to see a kestrel as well, but didn't didn't get a chance to see a kestrel. Still, still time. It could happen. But that is the species that I'm interested in. So those these days of fall migrations, we haven't had any really big migration days where it seemed like all the sparrows showed up or something. There have definitely been sparrows here, and they've been shown up, but some years, like, a bunch of them just show up all at once. This year, it's seemed like, at least so far, that it's been a, a steady but 
sort of low volume migration for whatever reasons i'm not sure what uh, what causes that? Weather seems to be a factor, but I think it's probably more than just weather in terms of the timing and where all those birds happen to set down. So it's it's uh, an interesting thing to watch from year to year. The Elsewhere in southeast Alaska, we have had a couple of unusual birds that, I guess, do you find that a little bit inspiring? So just so people know, I was, off the top of my head, there was a common grackle showed up in Ketchikan in the last couple of days. I guess it was probably a week or so ago now that there was a scissor-tailed flycatcher in Petersburg that was there for two or three days. A Nazca booby was in Glacier Bay uh, a couple days ago, I guess. Yeah. And it, was the, it was there the same day that um, Cassin's Finch was seen, so yeah. Yeah, a so a couple ago. days ago. These are all very unusual birds for Alaska. I'm not sure. I didn't. I didn't check and see... Nazca booby would be the second Alaska bird. Yeah, I do believe so. And the first in southeast Alaska. The scissor-tailed flycatcher is, I think, the fourth or fifth in southeast Alaska. Oh, it couldn't be that many because there's only, I think it's only the fourth or fifth for the state. Mm. Well, there's been at least one in Juneau and yeah. at least two in the Sitka area, so that's okay. four. So um, maybe it's the, maybe it's the um, sixth one then. For the state? Because there was, um, I believe that the one that was up, where was it? It was up north somewhere, like North Slope area, um, I want to say. Last year, I believe it was. I think I heard that that one. Last year, the year before, I believe that was the third record for the state, I want to say. It might have been the fourth, but... Um, In any case, it's a rare bird for Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bird that does, has a reputation for showing up and moving on right away and not being seen again. So it was interesting that this one stuck around Petersburg for as long as it did. But when you see those kind of reports, does that kind of get you inspired to think about what might be around here? Yeah, when you see stuff like that showing up and then have a Cassin's Finch show up here about the same time, it's like, all right, well, the Cassin's Finch couldn't be alone. There's got to be something else interesting around here. So it is one of those things. I was reviewing my birds. It took me, I think it took me several years to get, I think it was over 10 years even till I got to 200 species total that I had seen in Sitka area and several years till I got to 160 species for the area. And it's interesting that these days, the last couple of years I've had well, and this year is the third year in a row that I will have over 170 species. And two years ago was the first year I ever had that many. So it could be that these last couple of years have been exceptional or that there are new birds showing up. But I think it has more to do with learning what birds are around and having more people out looking than there used to be. And this is one of the reasons each week on the show I'm saying, if you see any unusual birds, please let me know because you never know what might show up. So it is one of those things where these birds show up and a lot of the birds, I think some of the regularly occurring birds, I know where to look for them a little better, uh, the unusual but regularly occurring ones, and I make an effort to go find them. But I think if I looked, were to look at my year list for each year, there would probably be at least five, probably more like 10 to 20 birds that I saw only because somebody else first saw them and reported them. And, like, for example, this year, Western Wood pee Peewee is one that I saw at Totem Park because somebody sent me a text message and said, there's a Western Wood Peewee here. 
the the um, Cassin's Finch is another one that I wouldn't have seen, and that one was even more exciting because it was the first record for the year. So folks like yourself, and there's several other people in town that are getting out pretty regularly and communicating about what they're seeing. So it's a great way to do that, even if you're not sort of excited about building your list. It's a nice way to participate in this kind of community of folks that are that are birding. I guess you've taken advantage of that a little bit. Yeah, a little. How many of your birds are birds that you found versus birds? Or maybe you haven't kept track. I haven't kept track in the same sort of sense. Um, I'd have to say probably at least 25% of them. Um, birds I, that other people found? Birds that other people found and then and are ones that I haven't subsequently found myself. Because there's quite there's quite a few birds that somebody else found for the first ones that I've seen, but a year or two later or three years later, I ended up finding them myself. Um, but there's probably still 25% or so that I haven't seen since or haven't found myself since. I was interested. A couple of years ago, I went through and compiled my list of first photos, basically, because that was the easiest way. I didn't always keep records of the first time I saw something. But since I've photographed most, well, I've photographed everything I've seen. So first photos was a nice way to just document that. But I also annotated the ones that were found by somebody else first. And I was, I guess I shouldn't have been, but I I was ended up feeling a little bit surprised at how many of, especially in recent years, how many of them were found by other people, uh, the the new to me birds. And some of them I did subsequently see again without, you know, on my own essentially, but Many, you know, that first time is still the first time. So who knows if I would have seen them again if I hadn't seen them the first time. But it is it is one of the interesting things about birding. And you had a chance to spend some time with visiting birders this past week. Uh, how was that for you? Oh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, Got to talk about birding in other parts of the state and, um, and other parts of the world, too. Lower 48, mostly. Um, Got to have some tips on where to go look for a certain species up north that I intend to get to my state list because I'm not going to get to 300 very easily without them, um, or it'll take me longer, I guess, which is my current goal. I, my first one was get to 200, and now it's off to 300, um, which I'm not going to... I'm unlikely mm-hmm. to get by birding here. I could probably scrape... It would... I could probably come close to scraping out 300 birds here and may by the time I'm like 80 and maybe um, with the ones that I have got from my trip to ADAC and Anchorage already, maybe I'd make it to 300 that way, but it will, I don't intend to take decades of doing it. I tend to get there a little faster than five decades. Um, So you're saying I don't have a chance unless I travel. Well, no, with the ones you already have in Anchorage, you probably, you got a chance to do it. Yeah, I'm at, what am I, 256, I think, 255, 6, 7, somewhere in there for the state. And most of that in Sitka, over 200, I think 236 for Sitka maybe now, somewhere in there. Yeah, 235, 236. I'm not such a lister that I, you know, have exact, keep exact track. It's like, that's somewhere. It's It's roughly in that neighborhood. But yeah, it would be difficult. There's certainly at least half a dozen, maybe a dozen birds that I could expect to find out on this out in the offshore areas over over time and you know this Cassin's Finch isn't exactly one I would have expected to show up here but it seems like every year there's something unusual that shows up birds are 
don't listen to the range maps and some of them tend to wander that's part of the i guess the lottery like aspect of playing uh, uh, doing doing birds it's sort of like you never know when you might hit the jackpot and so you keep going out and keep trying but there's other ways of of watching the birds you know just maintaining a feeder i was just uh, when i had gone to watch for the Cassin's finch and and had a chance to hear Burgess Bowder talking about birds. He's like, I don't really identify the birds, but I just love them. I love watching them. And he, he's like, those black caps, they come out, they, they they stay for the winter, don't they? And I was like, yeah. He was referring to the juncos, of course, have a nice black cap. And um, But it was, it was, yeah, something that it's great. There's folks on the Sitka Birds Facebook group. Uh, many many people there just like to get out and take pictures of birds, and uh, some of them try to identify them. Some of them just like to take pictures. And this year, actually, the great catbirds that showed up and were nesting here were found by somebody that just likes to take pictures of birds, get out, and, and shares them on Facebook from time to time. So that was a really very interesting record here is the first record of nesting catbird anywhere close to Alaska. I think kind of central BC might have been the furthest north. They've in recent years started to move a little bit north in terms of where they're nesting, but up until recent years, southern BC was the nearest that any of them had been reported nesting. So it's exciting to have them nesting here. I'm not sure whether it was a successful nest. I did go look at the nest and it didn't have any dead babies in it, so they either got eaten or or successfully fledged. Who knows if they survived after that? It's always a, a rough, rough life, r- a tough beginning for for birds. Many of them don't make it past the first few months of life, uh, but many of them do and come back to nest again. So it is something to look forward to next year. But any things that you're looking forward to this fall in terms of birds and. Um, I'm hoping I'll get another couple new species. Um, I'm hoping to not be out of town and miss the, or out of town quite as late and miss the um, big warbler pushes. Um, Well, big is relative, but uh, it seems like within the last, let's see, I've been leaving in the fall for the last 10 years probably. Uh, Nine out of... I want to say eight or nine out of those 10 years, I've missed at least one species and that would have been new for me and typically two or three. Um, And so I'm hoping to be back a little earlier. So then uh, the, I have a little better chance because some of those species were like the black throated gray that showed up on Castle Hill a few years ago. It hung around for several weeks and I think it was last seen like two days before I got back. So, um, and so hopefully getting back a little earlier um, will, like, there'll still be birds that I miss, but hopefully it'll um, give me a little better chance of getting them. I do know there was a streak of several years in a row where every year you missed one. I, I kind of feel like your memory might be over overstating how many you've <laughs> missed over the years, but it would be interesting to, to go back and look. There's definitely been several years where there was at least one species. I don't think there were too many years that were that where there were two or more, but there were a couple years where, like the one year where the brown booby showed up and the red uh, phalaropes, was that the same year? No, that was the, okay. the red phalaropes. Let's see, I want to say the red phalaropes were... I think the year that um, the Spoons goal showed up in the channel for the first time. 
Yeah, well, it wasn't the first time, but or, it was the first time when I yeah. saw there was Sabine Skull and Red Fowler. The Sabine Skull was only there for five minutes. Nobody, yeah. nobody would have seen that except for I happened to see it, but because um, I was teaching over there at the time. But the Red Fowler ropes did stick around. Uh, yeah, the Brown Booby was a an exceptional year for a number of things. I think there was a bunch of warblers that year, and that was probably the yeah. year of the black-throated gray warbler as well. But in any case, yeah, the October into November sometimes it is a little surprising. Not every year. There's been plenty of years when not much showed up during that time frame, but uh, a number of years, that's a good time to get out and look. The birds, especially if you have deciduous trees that hold on to their leaves, deciduous trees and shrubs, the warblers especially like to utilize those. And by October, I think the my suspicion is that they may be around before that time, but the alders still have leaves on them. So the the, the warblers and, and birds are utilizing the alders, and there's a lot of alders around here. But as the leaves fall off the alders later in October, and there aren't that many trees around that have leaves, the maples on Castle Hill are particularly attractive, but there are some other places in town where the deciduous trees hold on to some leaves or there's deciduous shrubs. All those are places that, to my mind, are worth checking uh, regularly. And all the better if somebody is living there and and is kind of watching feeders or something. So it is fun to, to find some of those unusual birds. You do have a skiff in the water these days. Is that open up some horizons for you? Yeah, I intend to go and try to hunt down a red fowler rope. We'll see how successful I am since I think they're typically out in the sound more. Um, in water that's probably slightly rougher than I would like to take my little skiff out in. Um, and then next spring I um, intend to try to go dig up a Brant's cormorant, which hasn't been reported. I think it was last reported like three years ago out at St. Lazaria. Or one was last reported three years ago out at St. Lazaria. But there for a little while it was reported a few years in a row. Um, so seems to suggest that they're here at least sometimes and so during the spring and so hopefully and maybe even other times it just happens to be that people are out looking more in the spring um and so i intend to go and see if i can't dig one of those out of the flocks of cormorants that are out there um and maybe i'll find one sooner if i'm lucky but i'm not gonna hold my breath for it and ambitions for you mentioned that you want to travel around the state what are your what are your targets um i got about 40 of them and i intend to do a kind of interior like fairbanks north kind of or anchorage north to like fairbanks and up the dull highway and stuff like that there's several breeding birds there that um sounds like are semi-easy to get they might require a hike for some of them but that's not something i'm opposed to doing um so i'll get a handful of them there hopefully and then up to Nome for some more breeders um and then also vagrants because Nome is i have a better chance of getting asian overshoots and stuff in the springtime um and there's some there's a scoter that's been reported off of there's a species of scoter that within like the last five years i believe got split from the typical white wings, which is what we have down here, um, it's an Asian, looks like an Asian version of it. Base, it's basically an Asian version of it, um, and so that one's been gamble, and 
Nome, I think, are basically the two spots in the state that you can find them, or that they've been reported fairly regularly. Um, Gamble, I intend to get out to at some point in time, but that's probably a little further down the road. Um, but Cape Nome, it's been reported off of Cape Nome for, or the Cape Nome hotspot for the last, I want to say since they've been split. So probably the last two or three years, four years. Um, like the last couple of days of May, the first week of June, like that's the time it gets reported up there. So that's the time. Also coincidentally happens to be when all the breeders show up up there for the most part. Um, is that I, coincidental, or is it that because when all the birders are there? That could just be when all the birders are there, but um, and so that might be what's coincidental about it is that it happens to get re- reported because people are there looking for it. Um, so we can get up there and do that, and then probably do some more uh, Aleutian trips out to Adak. Um, it was fun out there. There's not quite as many birds out on Adak now. Um, I'll be basically looking for. Asian vagrants out there. So, but I mean, like this last week, they reported a uh, Eurasian skylark, um, which looks a little bit like a horned lark, which we don't get around here very much. Horned lark or a long spur or something. It's an open field bird. Um, so that would have been new for me, but it, I'm not sure I would have got, got it. Um, and those have shown up elsewhere as well. Um, so I tend to make a, trip out there probably in the springtime the next trip will probably be in the spring since that i believe is still when there's the most species out there that have been reported over the years that i don't have um but probably make a trip out there in the fall too at some point um yeah lots of travels in your future if your ambitions may uh, keep up yeah i guess i guess you could shift priorities at some point but hard to know the uh, do you have birding ambitions beyond the state? Um, not nearly as high a level. I still like I'd still like to get down to Texas and Southern Arizona, and or actually, it sounds like we might be going to Southern Arizona in January. Um, so, but get down to Texas and over the East Coast. I've birded, I believe I birded every state west of the Rocky Mountains now. So, um. So get over to the East Coast. There's still loads of birds over there that I have not, that I don't have for my life list. Not even just the state list, but my life list in general, um, which isn't very high. It's only like 100 and, I think it's actually only about 100 species higher than my state list. So on 300s, which is low compared to, for the ABA, compared to people that really work at it. Um, so you are listing is a significant part of what you want to do when you're traveling for birds as well. Yeah, listing for me is kind of a way to, um, like, it gives me some way to get better at IDing them. Like, if I'm going to go through the work of looking at them, figuring out what they are, I want to be able to count them to, or I want to count them to. So it, um, I don't like just ident- identifying things for and just letting it go at that it, it's a weird sort of thing for me but i like to count them and id them um or just count them as i id them is more of what i do well it seems kind of funny you know far be it for me to say that it's weird except for that i think it's a little weird because i even though i do it even more than most in terms of counting and having lists of things that i've seen uh it is i find it a little bit motivating 
I'm not. Some people are very much just this, like the list. There's stereotypes of, and and I guess stereotypes that are realized in some individuals about how they what it takes for them to counterbird for their list. And it, you know, for me, I like to have a good picture of it. It's not a requirement for me to have a good picture for me to count it, but certainly is preferable. But it is an interest. It's kind of a weird thing. Like, why? Why would it matter whether you get to increase your number by one uh, if you enjoy seeing it? Like, why does that make a difference in whether or not you enjoy seeing the bird? I don't know if I would say that I envy people that uh, do it without that as motivation. But it is. It does seem like a. In some ways, it's it's funny. Like from where I sit, as somebody who is very compelled by a list and numbers that way uh, it feels a little purer to to just be able to see the bird and and move on and look for the next one and not even worry about whether it's number 57 or 457 yeah i don't know it seems like such a i don't know it seems so different to from how i do it that i don't think there's just something compelling about the list it's like it, I guess it's more that I like to keep track of the birds that I've seen, and it happens to be that that would be via a list. And then the it's like if you got the list already, you might as well count how many birds you have. Um, well, how do you feel about seeing birds that are already on your list? Do you care? No, they're still just as fun, or I still enjoy seeing them. Um, well, some of them. I'm not a huge fan of some of the uh, introduced species in town, but. Um, but the rare ones especially, the ones that... And I enjoy ones that give me, make me work at uh, having to ID them. That's just... I probably get, a, in some respects, a better or a more enjoyment out of a, um ID challenge, like a reasonable one. Like, I want one that's... Or I enjoy the ones more that are... Like, I feel like I can ID it and not just one obscure, like, far-distant goal picture... Um, that is like three me- three pixels big, and you can tell it's a goal, and that's probably a goal, and that's about it. I don't I don't like those sorts of uh, challenges. I like the ones where I feel like I have at least a fighting chance of figuring them out. Um, and it's just it it's something that I enjoy doing, and then I just keep a list on the. Although I guess I started listing more before I um, before I did identification stuff so much. Um, it's probably thanks to you telling me to look it up in the bird book every time I had a question, just look it up in the bird book and look it up in the bird book. And now I look it up in the bird book before I ask anybody about it because it's like, well, I want to see if I can do it, see if I can figure out what it is. And then if I can't or if I'm unsure, I send it to somebody else with more experience for confirmation. Um, so. Yeah, it is, I suppose, is what you're say, saying it seems like the list well i remember you saying previously that you got motivated to get to 200 because you wanted a patch yeah i got the patch yeah. for the alaska 200 club before that i don't know if you were actually keeping track of numbers no i don't think i was all. actually i think i was you or liked least, birding yeah i liked birding at least not in any sort of serious way um i think i think i was doing iNaturalist at the time and so it was just kind of interesting i wasn't very competitive about it and by some people, I'm still in standards. I'm still not very competitive about it. I'm just more. I'm not competitive against other people necessarily. I just have a drive to get more myself. 
So you want um, higher list count. I want higher list count, but not because necessarily because somebody's higher as much as it feels to me like it's a significant... It's a um, quantifiable example of how much I've learned in some respects for me. Um, it feels like to me when I have a larger list of birds, that means I've learned more birds and know more about birds. And like that just is sort of like a nice way for me to um, quantify. So you got, some start, regards. you got started on the list to get a patch. Yeah, I got started on the list to get a patch. And, and now the county. It's just, and, and then once that started sort of triggered some some other stuff and you're like well i've got 200 now why not more well actually it wasn't i don't think it was really until adac that i or our trips to adac that i really felt like that after that year it really kind of sparked more being like oh i can actually get more birds because before that i was kind of it may seem silly because I was young and like I couldn't travel at the time, really. But it's like, and I would have would eventually get older and be able to travel more. It's like, um, well, you still wanted to see new birds here. Yeah, I still, but I w- had resigned myself to the fact that I probably wasn't going to get very many birds here, um, just because of like where we are. Like we'll, we've got uh, Sitka's got up close to, it's got like two hundred and sixty birds now, so that's not bad, but. It wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be getting anywhere close to 300 or 350 probably um, without traveling. And I don't know, it didn't really feel, I didn't feel like traveling was necessarily an option at the time. It didn't occur to me that I'd just get older and make more money and be able to travel on my own if I wanted. Um, It's just like I wasn't traveling, so I couldn't travel ever. And then, so I just kind of had resigned myself to the fact that I mean, we weren't going to get, I just, I just enjoyed doing the birds and wasn't going to worry about getting that many because I wasn't going to be able to get that many. And now it's like, well, I can go get that many if I so desire <laughs> with putting a little work in. And, um, and I guess also traveling showed me that I enjoyed doing it elsewhere because when I was really young, like even when I went down south to visit my grandparents, I did not care about birds down there it's like i saw them and it's like i remember on iNaturalist like i'd take pictures of them but i wouldn't post them to iNaturalist because i did not want to screw up my uh nice little list of birds for uh sitka and so even if there was like i had a peregrine falcon from uh western washington um up on the olympic peninsula that i didn't want to post to iNaturalist until i had had pictures of one here but then eventually something happened and i just wanted a representation of the birds that I had seen and so I posted it to iNaturalist even though I hadn't seen it in Sitka yet um so yeah it's funny the different things that compel us everybody's a little different in that regard and you know we change over time in terms of how compelled we are by um, one particular way of doing things or not and so these days it seems that you use the list as, as ways to direct travel you enjoy exploring some new places and seeing some new birds and so keeping track of a list and then where you can maximize your list just gives you there's a whole big world out there and figuring out where you want to go i guess you got to use some criteria so why not birds and uh at least for those of us who like to travel uh, i'm not one of that class so much i don't mind traveling but I just soon stay here. I like it here and like to explore here. 
So it is uh, always interesting to talk to others who have, you know, experiences elsewhere. And yeah, I guess in the coming years, maybe we will revisit this topic and see what you discover in places a little more far flung than Cape Edgecombe and uh, Bear Lake, <laughs> where this year's, I guess this year's exciting birds was uh, was Bear Lake and, or so far, cross fingers. We never know my, my, what might show up, but uh, Bear Lake and um, downtown central central neighborhoods of Sitka. So uh, who knows what's waiting around the corner. Any suggestions for folks, uh, your, your best advice for folks that might be interested in birds? Uh, just get out and go look for them. Just because I'm compelled by a list doesn't mean you have to be. It doesn't mean it's any less fun if you don't. We all got to start somewhere, so it's no nothing wrong with just enjoying out, just enjoying get out and look at them. Even if you, even if you don't know what they are, just go out and look. Yeah, I think it's probably safe to say most birders, most people who enjoy birds, don't keep a list. They just get out and enjoy them when they're out. Take pictures, maybe even just in their yard, taking pictures of birds at the feeders. All those things. It's all great. And those of us who do enjoy listing certainly appreciate. I'll speak for myself here. I certainly appreciate those folks who are enjoying birds in other ways and, and noticing the birds that seem a little different, see un, seem unusual, sharing those. You can, if you're interested in sort of being participating somewhat in the local community here in Sitka for birds, if you're on Facebook, you can search for the Sitka Birds Facebook group and most most people there just are members of the group but don't post anything. But there's a few people that like to post pictures of the birds that they've been seeing around. And you're certainly welcome to do that as well if you join there. You can also go to sitkanature.org and there is a email list for birds. It's not as active as it once was, once Facebook kind of <laughs> took over a lot of stuff. Uh, folks preferred to go there. It's a little easier to share pictures and such, I suppose. But uh, there are still folks using the email list and posting from time to time there. So that's another great place. If you're not part of the Facebook, um, don't don't enjoy the social media aspect. I certainly don't blame you. And join, feel free to join the email list. Go to sitkanature.org and just for the Sitka Birds email list there. You're welcome to join. Any last words here before we wrap up? Um, yeah, and go out and see what you can find. There's no shame in not knowing what it is or being wrong about an ID. So, yeah, let us know. I'd rather chase a uh, hundred common birds and not miss the run one rare one than have somebody feel like, oh well, I don't want to bother somebody. Yeah, <laughs> about what this is. It's nothing quite as frustrating as f- learning about a bird too l- too late to go see it when I could have gone and seen it and it would have been a new one or an unusual one. So yes, as always, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or you can get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. Appreciate Connor coming in and visiting with me this week. My guest has been Connor Goff. And until next time, this has been Matt on the Sitka Nature Show, KCAW Sitka.